Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15, 15 15, just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Megan Gilger, and welcome to the Fresh Exchange podcast. It's the second week of March. I am just been waiting for this week because it is going to be 50, which is pretty amazing. And I've been slowly anticipating the melting of the snow that's in the garden right now so that I can move my polytunnels out there and get the soil all warmed up. I have seedlings that are coming up and ready to go out into the those and just grow and be beautiful and amazing. And I have this high hopes for them. We shall see how it goes. You never know what spring will entail. And we are so close to the beginning of spring. We are literally days away, two weeks, I think, or less now. And I am so excited for multiple reasons, not just because it's spring, but as you guys know, spring also means the beginning of our community. The doors are opening the first day of spring and they will remain open for one week before we kick into all the exciting things I have planned for the spring season in our first season of the community. So if you are already an email subscriber, you will have gotten a very exciting email full of all the details on Friday. But if you are not, you're going to want to join today because if you missed the opportunity, we are, we gave away this last week three annual memberships. It's $160 worth of a membership for a full year in our community. But if you missed it, you still have a chance to win one of three seasonal memberships for just the spring season. So you can sign up below in the show notes, freshexchange.com backslash subscribe. And right there, you can sign up for email newsletter. You will be entered to win one of those seasonal memberships. But if you by chance miss it, you and don't win this time, you will have an opportunity to jump in. It's $50 to join for just one season or $160 to join for a full year, which I highly suggest because not only do you save $40 for the year, if you're really interested in doing this, but you also get the opportunity to be like one of the sole core members throughout this year and to really invest. And I love that. You're, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be investing just like you guys. And I cannot wait to get connected and learn from each other. So 
I am very much anticipating this next chapter. Some of the highlights, if you didn't get the email, this is first of all, not a community that's run on Facebook or any other social platform. This is something that we are utilizing a platform that exists that we then control and have complete say over. So Mike and I are running it. And next week, Mike and I will be answering all of your questions about the community, giving you highlights about the community, talking about why we built this, how we built this, everything. So you will get all the details with Mike and I, which is really exciting. First time Mike's coming on, won't be the last, but then also there are zone specific help for communities. So we will help you find your zone. If you do not even know what that is, no worries. We are going to help you through the process to get and know that. And then you will be able to join that community and get zone specific help within that group, which is awesome. Then I also will be coming on two times a month and I will be doing Q&A sessions and talking about a specific topic during that Q&A. It will be live, but if you miss it, it will be saved. So no worries about time zone issues. And then I also will send out weekly meditations and journaling prompts specific to our themes and topics each month. And these will help guide you through a more intentional season. And so as you're gardening, as you're learning about these things and getting community support through your goals and things like that, you're also going to be diving deeper into nature in a whole new way with me. We'll also have this area for general topics that will range in all sorts of different areas, such as like parenting in the garden, how to eat seasonally, how to eat seasonally with kids, like sharing recipes, preservation, beekeeping, chickens, you name it. It's there. And if it isn't there and you guys have a demand for it, we're going to put it there. And then we also will have resources and downloads, suggested reading lists, exclusive newsletters that are just for our community members and so much more. I really cannot wait for you guys to check this out. So I'm just giving you the highlight. Obviously, you can go to the show notes, subscribe to our email newsletter and be entered to win one of those three seasonal memberships to give you a deep dive into all of this amazing content we have planned. So that said, now I want to jump into introducing the wonderful Andrea Bemis and she is absolutely incredible. I have followed her for, I don't even know how long, but we've never met in person And when we sat down to talk on Zoom, I felt like I sat down with an old friend. We had such a wonderful conversation. It was honest. It was real. And it's the kind of conversation I knew we'd have. But then to like experience it was even more so. If you do not know who Andrea is, she has real. she is a farmer, first of all. Her and her husband, Taylor, own Tumbleweed Farm in Oregon. And they have a adorable daughter named Pepper and who was born during the pandemic. They have an amazing community of people around them. They are have been in farming for years and they are so knowledgeable. But on top of being a farmer, she has written two cookbooks, which both sit in my kitchen and they are very well loved, have stains all over them, folded, you know, dog-eared pages. They sit prime and available at all times because they're both written for the seasons from the perspective of a farmer. And I love it. I love how intentional they are, how purposeful they are, and how focused on community they both are. And in about going back to the basics, but she also has an amazing blog, Dishing Up the Dirt, which has tons of amazing recipes. She also talks about local eating and seasonal eating with a child and a baby which is really fascinating if that's something you're pursuing. The other thing that she has that 
was such a big way that we connected even deeper was when she launched this local 30. So think whole 30. So 30 days of committing to a specific sort of diet and you choose 10 items, which you cannot, which you cannot source locally. And you, those are your 10 items and everything else in your diet for those 30 days, you focus on sourcing solely within hundred to 200 miles of your home. It is an amazing challenge. We did it with her and I was already slightly pursuing this. And then we did that. And I learned so much. I asked so many questions. My co-op even started helping me. It was such a way to connect within community. And granted that was pre-COVID and a different time, but I think these things are totally doable even now. And we sit and talk about that. She has an amazing 30 minute documentary she even did about this. If you want to dive into local eating and seasonal eating in particular, she is the lady. Like she knows it. So we sat down and got really honest about it. And I asked some great questions. And I hope you guys really enjoy this because I did. And it's a little longer than our other podcasts. So hopefully you can kind of split it up over this next week. If it if you know you can only do 20 minutes at a time because you have children like me. But I think you're really gonna love this one, especially if you're a uh, parent and especially if you're somebody who is looking to eat seasonally and locally. So let's dive in. Well, I am really excited to have you on the pod. You were one of the most requested people. Yeah. I was like, well, of course I'm going to get, I would love to have Andrea on. I want to have Andrea. You were on my list. Like when I started thinking about this, I was like, I can't, I just want to talk to you. I just want to hang out. So well, first of all, I'm so excited you're doing a podcast and <laughs> I've tuned in you, I don't know if anyone's ever told you, but you have a very soothing voice. Well, thank you. <laughs> you have a really nice listening voice. So That means a lot. Okay, well, you're meant to do a podcast because your voice is very easy to listen to. So... <laughs> Well, keep going. <laughs> I appreciate that. I, I really try to like, I always want people to walk away feeling calm, like not feeling, I don't know. I, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts to begin with. So it was a little bit like, do I start a podcast? Cause I'm not a podcast person. Mm-hmm. And Mike kept telling me, I think you would do really well. Like, I think you would enjoy it. And I was like, okay. Like, so I tested it out just for fun. And I was like, yeah, I do like this. This is fun. This is almost better than writing a blog post. And <laughs> It's so interactive. I mean, it it's is. Like, it does. It feels like we're just hanging out right now. And <laughs> I mean, writing a blog post is you've got to like sit down. And I mean, obviously, there's the editing side of this. Yeah. I know nothing about pop. I need to just stop talking. I know nothing about the podcast. <laughs> people, but this is great. <laughs> no, it, it actually is. And basically, when I write my outline, I've already written the blog post. So mm-hmm. it's like by the time I get to the blog post, it's that coordinates with it. It's basically like done, you know, it doesn't take a lot of work on the other side. So Mm. it's kind of, but I also oddly in college, I had a professor because I was in media communications. That was my degree. And I was studying like how to run a studio from a creative perspective. And that was my dream. And I did that for a while, but I, he was also like, you have to take an audio engineering class, like every single person in this department needs to. And it was like a demanded thing that we had to like create our own radio show episode. And it was so weird at the time. Cause it was like, you know, in 2007 and it's like, who listens to the radio anymore? Like that was like, so high school, like, why am I doing this? <laughs> and uh, high school and middle school. And then here I am, like, I know how to do all of it because I took that class. Pretty was, rad. Yeah, 
He was prophetic. I have no idea. (laughs) So I do have some background in it. So I have to say maybe it's easier for me because I have that knowledge in my back pocket. But yeah, so. You got the knowledge and the voice. Well, thank you. (laughs) Um, Well, so I am so excited to talk about this because seasonal eating and local eating are basically kind of like the same thing a little bit. And I feel like seasonal eating is like the the precursor to getting you into local eating almost, you know, because once you realize like, oh, if I just get a CSA and buy from my local farmer, I don't have to think twice about what seasonal eating is. Like it kind of just like, it's like a gateway drug, so to speak. Exactly. <laughs> and you're like the queen of local eating to me. Like you just like you exemplify it. I mean, you created Local 30, which was brilliant. And I loved following along with it when you when was that? That was like 2018 you did that? I think it was 2018, yeah. Okay. And then you did the documentary, which everyone should watch, and I'll link it in the show notes. Awesome. Because it's it's beautiful. I think I cried twice watching it because it just felt like but I cry about like a lot of things now. So. <laughs> so, but I, I want you in the simplest terms possible, I guess, like if you were to describe it to a, I don't know, like a fifth grader or a fourth grader, like how would you describe local eating and why it's important? Well, gosh, and I love the term of like trying to explain it to maybe like a fifth grader. I would describe it as community-based eating. Mm, I like Um, that. Yeah. I think that, and even to, I would just, I think now this is a great question because I would now maybe even describe that to adults that are, are like, well, how do I, what is local? I don't know. I, I, community-based eating, I think would be a phrase that I would use. Um, (laughs) because that to me was the biggest takeaway when I, I think when I started to to look at like, how will, how could I supplement, like, how can my 100% of my diet be from my own region? Like, that's going to be difficult. I, the community aspect was such an afterthought. It was more like this challenge mm-hmm. of like, I'm going to go. And like, I did all sorts of research. I was on the computer late at night after farming all day, just Googling, like, where can I find, you know, vinegar, local mm-hmm. vinegar, who, where yeah. can I find? And the community part came after the, the, just like the initial, like, I'm going to go all out 100% and, mm-hmm. um, and do this challenge. And it really sort of shifted to all of a sudden we were, I was emailing with, with people that, you know, didn't live that far from me that I never knew existed. Mm-hmm. And then those ingredients started to fill my cupboards. Yeah. And so when we'd sit down and eat, we, we would joke that like we were never eating alone because, you know, Sally's vinegar was drizzled on our greens and Tim's beef was made into meatballs and tumbleweed farm, our farms, greens, Mm -hmm. you know, it was kind of a, so it turned into this community-based eating that even though these people weren't physically at our table, we Mm -hmm. just sort of felt this, this sort of the safety net. And it sort of felt like this, this comforting, sort of secret society. And then I was like, this is so awesome. This, this doesn't have to be so secretive. If people knew that, that they could eat like this or that these ingredients do exist, not in, you know, 
you don't have to go to the grocery store for everything. Mm -hmm. Of course, we can get into that too later. But for me, it was kind of nice to be like, I'm going to not use the grocery store for for a month and Mm -hmm. see if we starve and see (laughs) if we blow the budget. And two things, those two things didn't happen. We didn't blow the budget. We didn't starve. And we met so many rad people. And so mm-hmm. that's why I think I would describe it as community-based eating because our, our community grew and, and it was, yeah. that was the best part about the, the whole challenge. It wasn't so much that these ingredients were local. It was that we had these relationships and maybe those relationships start to, maybe they're not so local, but you're communicating with somebody that's another state away or, mm-hmm. or you can't find a certain ingredient that you want, but you want to support a small farmer and reaching out and then starting mm-hmm. to have these communications. That to me was more important than the mileage um, yeah. in the end. So yeah. I think that that's a really good way to put it too. I, I actually remember <laughs> it was at Thanksgiving and we decided since we weren't doing Thanksgiving with family that we were one of our local restaurants that also is, it's basically designed as a fully functional space, like where it's this whole model where the farm feeds the, there's a farm at the restaurant that feeds everything. And if they can't do it there, they source it locally. Like even the beer is done that way. Like it is, they've adapted beer to solely be locally grown, which is incredible. Sorry. Um, and one of the things like they send out these letters that they do on a typewriter (laughs) and it's so cool. But in the, the farmer said, he was like, even though we can't all gather together, we're all sharing a meal together and like from the same soil, from the same land that we all are right here on. And I just like, I was like, you know, a ball of mess reading that. So, (laughs) but it's really true that we forget how connected food makes us to one another and how we eat affects the land in which surrounds us, which ultimately affects the health of the land, which always end up affecting us. It's a big cycle, right? So when we can draw that closer to home, not only do we create a better community, both like health-wise, financially, you know, economically, all of that. And then we get the relational thing, which I feel like we're all craving more than ever right now. And Mm -hmm. so I just... I just love the more I dig into it and the deeper I go, the more it's just, it's so fulfilling because and and it's not all about what I love. And a lot of people ask is like, you know, do I have to do this with my own garden? And I think it takes all that pressure off yourself when you realize that you can rely on others. Oh, absolutely. And I think that that's what's important. I think even for us, you know, the majority of our, our vegetarian part of our diet is we can grow all of a lot of that, but I think it's just as important to, you know, to support the other folks in our community that are growing and supplementing the other parts of our diet, or maybe they're growing, you know, maybe their tomatoes are a little better than ours. I'm going to go, go try, you know, somebody's growing a different variety of, of tomato or a different variety of winter squash. And I want to go and support them and try that. And I think that, yeah, it's, it's great to have your own garden. It's also great to, you know, then be able to support Absolutely. other other folks and, and keeping the 
the money circulated in your in your own community. I think that feels really good. And it's again, that's a personal choice. And everyone has has the mm-hmm. choice to, to spend their money however they want. But that, yeah. that feels good to me um, to be able to, to yeah. do that. Um, but yeah. I agree. I, I mean, I don't know. Food such food is the great connector. And I think when it's easy, obviously going to the grocery store and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we still do that, but even I even just love the fact like we focus on going to our co-op the most that we possibly can, even just because, you know, pre-pandemic, it's a small grocery store and like all the people that work there feel like family because that's where we shop and that's we're members and they know us. Like when I go there, they know my kids and they know what they like and they ask them questions, you know, and it becomes a relationship. And I think sometimes we can forget to even have thanks for that. Like that, that is such a huge part of when we put food on our table, that those relationships are there sitting on the table as well, because they all took work to get there. So, but yeah, I, I think it's interesting though, because you're a farmer by trade. Like that's what you guys do. I mean, you have your own farm and in this process, what did you personally learn? Like as you pursued like the local 30 and dove into this, like you took this time to do it. Well, I learned, um, I, you know, before doing the local 30, you know, I, I did, you know, I would supplement our diet. Obviously before doing the local 30, we were pretty, we supported a lot of local farms, um, mm. but it, I still found myself. I think I even started the local 30 with, I was literally opened my cupboard and like looked at this can of coconut milk. And I was like, where the hell did this come from? <laughs> and just, I just, and again, you know, there's nothing wrong with a can of coconut milk. There is nothing wrong with anything that anyone has. Yeah. In cupboard, but I just had this curiosity of, I have no idea where this came from. I have no idea who picked this, who packaged it, the transportation, you know, how did this end up in my cupboard in Parkdale, Oregon? Mm-hmm. Um, it just, I became curious. Do I, I get think being a farmer made you even more curious about that. Like knowing that oh, like hands-on. Well, I am absolutely because being a farmer, I also, I'm, I know that farmers, you know, it's hard to make a living. It's mm-hmm. also a big crews. Are crews treated well? Do they have, mm-hmm. you know, um, comfortable working, safe working environments, bathroom mm-hmm. breaks, like all of the above. Yeah. And I think the further away something is, it's harder to trace it. Um, <laughs> and I think that that for me was important to start to, put those pieces together was the traceability of something. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't so much about, is this good for my body? It's like, is, is buying this good for other people? Um, And so that's sort of what sparked the local 30 was not so much that I thought we weren't eating, supporting our, our local community enough, but it was like, do I need, I supplemented so much of my diet with things that were really far from far away. Mm-hmm. Again, there's nothing wrong. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, something in my gut was like, you know, could I, instead of using this coconut milk in a curry, could I just use milk from our local dairy? Mm-hmm. And 
I mean, yes, you know, yes, I can. Yeah. Um, and instead of drizzling, you know, mindlessly drizzling olive oil into a pan to saute veggies, could I just start saving my bacon fat mm-hmm. and, and using that and saving money and all, you know, in the end, mm-hmm. getting a little bit more scroungy with, um, mm-hmm. with ingredients and getting, um, you know, more creative and, and that was, was really nice. But for me, yeah, it was the, the spark of the can of coconut milk is really what sparked this idea to go all in and be like, wait, let me look at my spice cabinet. Let me look at the, the staples that I've never really thought much about. Yeah. Um, and do those things exist in my, my neck of the woods? Um, and so many of them did. And a lot of things, you know, I had to say mm-hmm. goodbye to like my beloved avocados. I wish avocados grew out here, but guess what? <laughs> like no more avocado toast. Sorry. You know, the, the wellness <laughs> industry, I don't know if the avocado toast is the best thing for the world, but yeah. I also don't think there's anything wrong with avocado toast, but I, you know, I'm, I, I was buying a ton of avocados before we, we did yeah. the local 30 and, you know, and now I have a little baby that I'm starting to buy some avocados to feed her. And I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, but I, I'm starting to think of things as more treats or yes. more, not so much more special occasion. Um, yeah. and again, I don't know if that's right. I don't know. Again, this is, this feels right to me. I, this yeah. might feel not right to somebody else. And I just think that that's also really important to remember that what is working for us or what, you know, it may be down yeah. the road. I decide that this isn't working for our family and we change, but I think that, you know, I don't have the answers. I don't know if eating like this is the best for the world. I don't know if eating like this is making a difference for my community or not, but mm-hmm. it feels right for me. So that's why we're, you know, continue yeah. to do it. I think like, I always encourage people, like it's about becoming curious first, you know, and curiosity is a good thing. Like you should kind of question things a little bit, like not always take them right as they're presented to you. Like, at least that's how I always perceive things. You know, I always look at the bananas, like, and I ended up researching, like, how do bananas get to us? And Hayes and I watched a video on YouTube about like how bananas get to us. And I was disturbed, but, (laughs) but, you know, but we still do buy bananas in our home and they are a a staple, I would say like, they're one of those like 10 things I feel like we can't give up. And as much as I would love to, and, but I also feel like I have that knowledge too, about the understanding and the appreciation and gratitude in my heart and my soul of like how this actually got here. And so I always tell people like, it's like, I don't hold like shame or like judgment for myself because of that, because it's something we're doing so many other things in our life sometimes. And I, I always have to say like, okay, this is like, my kids love bananas. Like I can't, (laughs) I can't break them of them. And as much as I'd want to. And so, and maybe there will be a day that that shifts again. And, but this is our moment and they never go to waste in our house. Like we use every inch of them. We don't take them for granted. And so I think it's, it's one of those things. Like if, as long as you're, you know, doing your best with and being respectful of the things that come into your home in that way and how they got there and understanding that, I think that's like a big step in the right direction of anything. So, and then you can make your choices from there. Totally. And that's just, and everyone has, has 
can make their own choices. And, and I totally respect anyone that they've got other things on their plate that are the top, a bigger priority and, and life changes and life is really hard. And I think that that's why it's like, it's great to, to be curious. And it's also great to let things slide and not take it seriously. Exactly. Yeah. So the question I love that people ask me, and I answered this, but I answered it briefly in the seasonal episode. And, but I think you're, you would be a wonderful person to ask this to, especially as a farmer and, and how much you've pursued local. And that is like, which should you choose over the other if you need to organic or local? And I love that question because I think as a farmer, you can give a lot of insight into this that, you know, I know from farmer friends and work volunteering on some farms and things like that. But I would love to hear you <laughs> discuss this. I, I I love talking about this. And again, anyone can make their own educational, educational guess or educational decision. But yeah, for me, um, going back to community-based eating, the more, the closer that I eat to home, the less important organic becomes to me. Mm-hmm. Um, we farm 100% organically, beyond organic, actually, because we use zero pesticides. Even We don't even use certified organic pesticides. Mm-hmm. We're not certified organic. Um, yeah. we, we could be, but it costs money. The regular, It's just for such a small, we're a small farm. It seems a little unnecessary because our community knows and trusts our practices. Mm-hmm. That... Is hard. We also live in an area where there's some tourism. And when people come to the farmer's market booth, they ask if we're organic. And we can't put up a sign. Even though we're non-organic, yeah. we, cannot, we cannot put up a sign that we're organic. We really have to phrase it in a way that like we, we, we grow organically, but we can't advertise that. Um, and I think that organic standards... I don't always trust them. Um, just yeah. because got the organic label, I don't, you don't know how, mm-hmm. how people, again, what's an organic apple from halfway around the world versus a local apple. Yeah. It's all about the traceability. So for me, if you are not comfortable with the, the apple, we'll just use apple as an example. Yeah, um, yeah. If you're at your local farmer's market and it's a non, if, if the, apple isn't organic and you don't feel comfortable after mm-hmm. talking to the farmer purchasing it, then going to the grocery store and buying an organic apple from, from further away might make you feel more comfortable and that's okay. Yeah. Um, and I personally ch- normally will choose local over organic um, yeah. pretty much any day of the week. And I, I also find that, that the, the, a lot of the local folks are doing a lot of great things, putting really good things into the soil. Um, mm-hmm. and they're farming, you know, in a way that makes me comfortable. And so I'm able to, to feel good about that. But it, again, if, for anyone that doesn't feel comfortable eating something that doesn't have that stamp of mm-hmm. certification, if it makes you uncomfortable, then, you yeah. know, then it makes you uncomfortable and, and you can, you have the choice to, to, to shop for organic, but I personally, for the most part, choose local over, over organic most of the time. Yeah. I always say like, choose local and ask questions, you know, Mm -hmm. and I, 
and maybe you can, you can certify, I guess this as a farmer, but I always like having that conversation with farmers and I try to go early to the farmer's market, you know, so that the, the farmers aren't inundated so that I feel like I'm not like pulling them away from other sales. Cause you know, this is their moment in the week to do that. They've worked all week for this moment. And so I always try to go early and just ask, you know, respectful questions, obviously, but just saying like things like, you know, tell me more about how you grow or like, what's your farm like, or even things like that. And so I, I have found that most farmers are really happy to answer those questions. Totally. And the other thing that's great is a lot of farms, not all, a lot of the really small farms, some of the people that I found during the local 30 don't even have, you know, websites or Instagram yeah. accounts. I'll tell you, those are the ones you can really trust. If, yeah, they don't have, if, they don't, if they don't have social media and they don't have like a website, you're like, they're doing it right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, going up to a little bit of a shady, like, you know, self-serve mm-hmm. farm stand, I'm like, you know what? I think I really trust these guys. I know. I feel that way too. <laughs> that we go to get some of our, like, you know, we call it like outlaw milk, um, you know, across, across the, we get raw milk from, you know, across the, across the river from us. Um, mm-hmm. now we're starting to get it from directly next door, which is really nice, but, oh, um, awesome. but I also think that what I found too, is a lot of the web for farms that do go to the farmer's market, you can hop on their website mm-hmm. and learn a lot about their farm and yeah. how to grow. And, um, and that can like answer a lot of the questions too. So that same thing, so that like, mm-hmm. you're not too much of their time at the market, if they're like busy, or if you just kind of want to, um, do a little, you know, you know, a little reading before the market. Um, you know, a lot of farmers do have websites and, and that can also make folks feel good about like, okay, well, they're not certified organic, but gosh, it looks like they're rotating their crops. They're using, you know, organic fertilizer or they're, Mm -hmm. you know, they've got animals on their farm that are, you know, so it feels, you know, again, there's a lot of information on, on their websites as well. Yeah. I, I found that it's pretty easy to determine who's really doing it right. Even just observing, you know, if you just become an observer of things and you watch it throughout the year. And I always suggest to people like, just making a regular practice of just going to the farmer's market. Cause you can, you can learn so much about who's there and what they grow and how they grow by watching them eat like month or yeah, month after month, even at the farmer's market typically. So, and you can learn a lot, which is great. <laughs> and asking friends that you know, that go to the farmer's market, like who do you buy from and things like that. So it's, and I have a couple chef friends that they go to the farm, the, there's one, there's two farmer's markets in the summer and one of them's more like the chef's farmer's market. And I go early and all my chef friends are there and I'll always like kind of just meander through with them. <laughs> they've shown me the ropes. And so it's really helpful. You know? they, yeah. They know what's up. But Yeah. So one of the other things when we're talking about local eating that a lot of people like I get criticism for, and I think it's something to really address because it's, it, I get, I understand it, but the more I've dug into it and everything, I feel like we're missing something and it is a fault in, a, in our ec- economy and the food system in general, I feel like, but a lot of people view seasonal and local eating as a privilege. And 
I think we forget that this is also how humans survived for hundreds and thousands of years before, is relying upon our community for our food. So when it comes to cost, obviously it does cost more, but I think you would be a great person to kind of address that conversation. Yeah. Um, and again, it's a big question. <laughs> question. And I, I always like to come into these things with also saying, I don't, I'm not an expert. I am a farmer. I'm no expert. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's, what's the right answer to a lot of these things, but I do believe that. And I think that the coronavirus, I think that the pandemic really highlighted that we had relying on this industrial food system is doesn't it's a broken food system it's not reliable and i think that people started to panic um you know the the a lot of like meat processing factories are are locked down like grocery store shelves are just like people you know wiped them out and Mm -hmm. we're relying on a system that i i don't necessarily know has a lot of resilience and i think that turning more to our community we didn't, ha- we didn't have to panic. Um, and, yeah. and that's fortunate. We, it's, we worked hard at, at finding our, our producers. It was, you know, it was something that has taken years, but I, I think that we have a broken food system. And I think that yeah. coming back to this community-based eating, that there's, there's a lot of resilience there. There's a little bit of a safety net that, mm-hmm. you know, I think, that your neighbors might have your back. Um, And I think that, you know, some stuff is, you know, when we did the local 30, that was a big thing. We like actually paid attention to like our, our budget. And I, I, again, we're farmers. We we're making, we're making a living wage. We're not going to Hawaii for vacations. We don't take vacations. We can't leave our property, but you're not a farmer to get rich. Like you don't become a farmer. Yeah. And, and we're not rich. And we, Mm -hmm. um, if, if supporting working class folks is, you know, elitist, I, I don't totally, uh, I know that for me, it's really important with the money that, that I have, that I, that I support these other folks in my community yeah. so that they can continue to, to grow food for our community. Um, <laughs> what is also awesome is I think that some of the criticism is out there, but that there are a lot of programs that do help to um, get folks, um, you know, that are, that can't afford f- local food yeah. on their table. And um, I have in my, in my cookbook, local dirt, in the appendix section, there's a resources for local food access for all that has a lot of um, websites for where people can apply for. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. And there's there's a RAD program that was actually um, came out of my our hometown, Hood River, that is called yeah. the GRX. Okay. And any, it's basically a, a prescription program. So you can, anyone that um, goes to the doctor and is if if you answer a question of like you know have you been nervous about where your next meal is going to come from or are you you know can you feed your family you can instead of you can get like a prescription for vegetables and you can use them at the farmer's market that's amazing and um yeah in michigan you can you can use your bridge card which a bridge card is food stamps at all the farmer's markets it's accepted 
Yeah. And we have like the snap programs too. So we have Mm -hmm. that as well. And then the veggie RX is a little bit different, but it's pretty sweet. Um, and you know, there's a couple of the, the hometown homeless people that we see a lot that use them. And then we've like driven by and seen them eating our carrots on the side of the road. It's amazing. Definitely a really wonderful program. And Mm -hmm. People can people can start that model that in their own communities if yeah. that's something that they want to bring to to their communities. Um, and so I think I that that's that. also an important thing to if there's a gap or there aren't. You know, the other thing is I know a lot of um, more rural areas don't have farmers markets, mm-hmm. um, and there's a growing movement of these mobile farmer mar- farmers markets, and we have mm-hmm. that area as well where people will you know, we can supply vegetables for the mobile farmer's market and then they drive out to these more rural areas and then they set up mm-hmm. shops there and then the, you know, the produce can get to some of these smaller communities that are mm-hmm. that are far out there. And I think that there's a growing movement of that, which is awesome and yes. super important. Um, and so yeah. I, I do think that there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, um, a lot of things that are happening that I think are, are progressive and, and that are helping get getting healthy, nourishing vegetables on the, on the table and also supporting the farmers that are growing them in these smaller communities. Absolutely. And I feel like, at least from my experience, like if I go and buy a cabbage right now from our local farm stand where they're, you know, they just got storage veggies like out the, you know what, (laughs) and that's basically what we live on right now. (laughs) And that and anything from the summer that is in the freezer. And I go there and I get buy a cabbage that $2 that I spent on that cabbage, which sounds like a lot. Cause if you go to like our larger super grocery store or whatever, you might pay a dollar, like half the price, but you know, I shave off a little bit and it goes in something. I shave off a little. And cabbage lasts like a freaking month. Mm-hmm. Like it's insane. And it surprises me. Like I might go to our local farm and spend $100 in a week, but that's two weeks worth of vegetables for us. And you think about, or I get a CSA and you think about it and you break it out. 50, actually, our one that we did in the spring during the pandemic, it was, I think it broke out to $35 a week, which is incredibly inexpensive. That's, and that's our CSA too. If, if yeah. you break it down, it's, it's $30 a week. And it's, I think that what's, what turns people away is the upfront cost because you pay upfront. But I think that, you know, when people understand that, they're paying up front because it's at a time of the season when the farmers are spending the most money, they're, they're buying yes. their supplies and their seeds. So that's when the money's the utilized hiring help and things. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Um, but then when you break it down, it ends up being just, you know, yeah, for us, it's just over $30 a week. And, you know, you get a full season's worth of vegetables that. And I uh, never finish a week's worth of vegetables, to be honest. It's a challenge and it's, it's not for the faint of heart. Um, but, and again, it's not for, it's not for everybody no. and that's just, and that's just fine. Um, but it's, uh, I think that there is a misconception that, that it's truly a lot more expensive to eat this way. And, and sure it can be, and it, yeah. it can be if, if, if your budget is, you know, shopping, you know, for 
more processed and that people, you know, that that is the reality for so many mm-hmm. folks is that shopping for generic, you know, canned, you know, processed foods. And that's, that's the option. So this is a big jump. I think for a lot of people that think that the farmer's market is a lot more expensive than the regular grocery store, it can be a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think for us, when we did the, the local food, you know, the local 30, one thing that we found is we're buying things in bulk and there Mm -hmm. is a there is a big cut for that. So if you're buying a quarter of a cow, well, that ends up saving you a lot of money. Oh, it does. Yeah. Um, instead of buying the individual cuts of meat and- You just have to be willing and able, I guess, to put that money up. And because I have a friend who has six kids and they buy a whole cow every year, but she says it significantly lowers the cost of their food bills. And they do that and then they get a slew of chickens and from a local farmer and she picks them up in bulk and puts them in her freezer. And that's what they live on, you know, for the most part and that and their eggs and whatever they grow in their garden and, and, or get from local farms. And it, I mean, they still go to Costco and things like that and fill the gaps with those things. But I find that a lot of these things that we're buying packaged and stuff like that actually ends up costing us more than the things that we're buying fresh because you're also paying for the marketing, you're paying for the design work, you're paying for the packaging itself and the production of those packages. And then you're having to, there's also the waste on the other side that you have to handle. And so when you're buying from the farmer's market, you can kind of control the waste that comes into your house too, which I think is not just helpful from like an environmental standpoint, but it's also helpful, I think, because for us, we would have to pay a premium in order to recycle and do all these. Like when you live in a rural area, you have to figure out how you're going to handle your waste, right? So we have to pay per bag of trash that we put out. And so it's $5 every single bag. So the more I can be smart with, I save money ultimately. So I, I also did this thing when we were doing the local 30, where I was like, I'm going to pay attention to just one thing specifically, like how many tomatoes do we need to actually put away? Like that was like my thing. Cause I was like, I can grow tomatoes. I'm pretty good at growing tomatoes. Like, you know, and we have a lot of great farms that you can get, you know, seconds and everything. They bushel them up and then you can just finish off your year in the freezer with them. And so I was like, how many cans do we usually use? And it was about 20 and for the year, like in the winter months, right? Mm-hmm. Outside of summer and the bigger cans that are like what the 60, 64 ounce or whatever, yeah. you know? And I was like, okay, how many are jars of tomatoes or tomato sauce or whatever? I was like, I'm going to figure this out. <laughs> so they're like, you know, three fifty to $4 a piece. Mm-hmm. So I did the math. It's, you know, I'm just doing it. I would have to look at my numbers. I had it written all written out at one point, but what is that? Like 20 times four is like 80, 80 bucks, right? hundred bucks. I see blackness when you say this. I can't do math. <laughs> so, sure, I have sure. to have a calculator. Well, I barely passed algebra right. too. <laughs> sounds about right. So we're talking like 80 bucks. Uh-huh. So I sh- also on the high end, 75 to $80. So then I also 
you know, we grew, I added up the cost of like the tomato seeds, the soil to start them, the compost that we put in the entire garden for that area. And it was like, just that alone was about $35, right? So then I was like, okay. And I had the upfront cost of buying some ball jars, which was costly, but I've now used those ball jars over the last three years. So Mm -hmm. that cost goes down every single year that I invested. And so I put away so many tomatoes that all I had to do was go and spend $15 for a half bushel of seconds. And that was it. So I barely, I did half the cost. Right. By doing it myself and working with the local farm. And I put them all away in our freezer. And granted, there's that cost to run the freezer, but it's so minimal, really. And we on a solar grid. So it's like, I'm not, the environmental impact is low. So. Right probably filling that freezer with a lot of other things as well. So. Exactly. It's not just tomatoes. It is fun. It is fun to, I mean, one thing that I do like is a good challenge. And that's <laughs> Me too. That. it is like a fun, it was kind of a fun challenge. And I also am aware that that's, again, the idea of doing that might sound too daunting to somebody and they're like, forget it. I'm going to go and spend the money. And that is awesome. But it is cool. You're like, you know what? I'm going to hack the system. And I mean, it doesn't kind of (laughs) And there's nothing that feels really, I think about this a lot too, like going into the winter, like, you know, we we did get a generator in case like of a powder up, but like looking at that chest freezer and being like, we're okay. Yeah. We're going to be, we're going to be okay. And that is, that feels pretty pretty safe, you know, that feels really safe. And I've talked to, I have friends that live in cities and they're like, I can't do the chest freezer thing, which I totally Mm -hmm. understand, but they do make the really tight, like the smaller, like the kind of skinny, deep chested ones or deep, you know, the, the deep ones, but they're Mm -hmm. small, they can fit in a small space Mm -hmm. and they can, you know, also be a countertop as well. Um, so there are, you know, there are ways to kind of, even in small small living to be able to, to, you know, put away to something, something, um, which I think, you know, again, if it, if it feels right and if it's, you know, yes, something that you're interested in doing, but it is kind yeah. of, a fun, that was one thing that I also found was fun was just like the, it did sort of feel like hacking the system of just like, oh my gosh, like I've discovered these, you know, all these staple ingredients that really are like not far from my home. And like, you know, I don't know. It's it's, it's so fun. Yeah, it really is. I, I find it enjoyable to kind of find these new things and everything. So, well, I am going to, I asked some people some questions. There's like three that I felt like were really good that okay. will just hit really quick. Um, One of them was, I loved this because as a, somebody, she, I know the girl that asked and she's a, a food developer, like a recipe developer. And she asked this. And so I think she resonated with you and I know she has your book, but um, she's a longtime follower, but she said, do you ever get tired of cooking and just want takeout? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. we, we have takeout. Oh my gosh. I also want people to know, like we do takeout and like, we will do, you know, burritos for dinner. Like it, we have like, you know, we crappy food too. And it's awesome. <laughs> like, sometimes there's nothing better than, you know, some, some crappy, not even crappy food, but just like our indulgent, like we, oh, we yeah. take out. Um, and we love, my husband is 
um, you know, he jokes, his favorite food is like Hidden Valley Ranch. You know, there is, <laughs> there is stuff that like it, we, we love it's- it's not like 100% and we're the same way like I said we have bananas in our house (laughs) oh my gosh you have bananas we have cool we have Hidden Valley Ranch we have all sorts of you know it's it's one of those things oh yeah we have like Cholula and all those things you gotta have some of that right like it's part of being human yeah no I think that um Yes, takeout is awesome. And I also, going back to the community-based eating, I think it's Mm -hmm. also really important to be supporting the, you know, your local restaurants and your local chefs. Oh, yeah. Yes, we, I do get tired of cooking. I I love love being in the kitchen. It's been a little bit tougher with um, having a a little Mm 10-month-old. But, yeah, we, we do love our takeout. And it makes, yeah, having takeout is a little more special these days because... Um, I know. The one sad thing about takeout right now is that French fries, I miss French fries. I know. Like They're real soggy. crispy French fries. They have to come hot. Out. We've actually been saying that too. They get here. Uh, too soggy. It's like, I, there's some people that they love dessert. Like I would choose French fries for dessert. Like that's me. Like I'm such a salty person over sweet. Like, mm-hmm. but I miss them a lot. But. One day, one day we'll, we'll get there again yeah, yeah, <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. My, my health will be better because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought this one was pretty good. Um, how do you even start figuring out like how, like how do you even start this process basically, especially if you're new to your area and, and it's during this pandemic, like a lot of people have moved to rural areas since the pandemic hit. So like, how do you figure out how to even start this? I would first figure out if you have a a farmer's market near you. Um, So I would, you know, figure out if there's a farmer's market close by, if not, if there's farms that are are nearby, Um, asking questions 100%. That was how we, a lot of the stuff that we found was not advertised. It was Mm -hmm. through the grapevine of asking like, can, where do I get local butter like there's a local dairy but who's doing butter you know mm-hmm. so and um a lot of places are having you know farmers markets are in a lot of areas like i said some of the really rural areas they aren't there but these mobile markets are starting to pop up um mm-hmm. the other thing is going to your your generic grocery store and asking them about their supply chain like i yeah. love we have a generic grocery store. I love the produce guys so much. I see them in the winter time. <laughs> it's really awesome to to chat about, you know, mm-hmm. where and sometimes that, you know, and they'll go like they'll go in the back and like they seem to love to chat where I you know, it's you don't want to take people's time too much, but it's it's nice to, you know, ask going to your grocery store if you're at the meat counter you know, where, mm-hmm. where's this coming from? And you can start to even get the names of certain farms and then you can mm-hmm. reach out to them directly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the, the most important thing, and I always got, I get worried because I don't want people to look at how we did this is like this, this thing that you have to go all in. And if you, yeah. if you didn't do it, then screw it. And, you know, I, for me, it's, it's really about if you are, interested in supporting your community and eating closer to home that you can dip your toes in it by finding the the local farmer's market and maybe buying mm-hmm. a little bit there and then supplementing from the grocery store. Yeah. Um, it's not all or nothing. It's not all or nothing. And, yeah. and I, I really want to be sensitive to 
to folks that think that it's this, you know, you have to like go all in. Um, I think joining a CSA is a really, yeah. really great way of, um, of seasonal eating. And, and also it, it really makes, if, if you're, it, a CSA is not for everyone because you don't have the choice of what you're getting that week. But mm-hmm. I, if you're somebody that's also like, great, this took out the guesswork, I guess we're eating turnips and bok choy. And you just start uh, looking up every recipe about turnips and bok choy. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I think that that is, and I love that this is one of the things that I love with being a farmer, because a lot of times people are getting a lot of turnips and a lot of bok choy. Mm-hmm. And, springtime and my like what makes me the most happy and like I didn't think I was that creative before and now I'm like I think I am getting creative but (laughs) I love finding all of the different ways to serve certain vegetables that I'm like Mm -hmm. we joke when we're packing CSA boxes sometimes we're like this is kind of the fu box. I'm so sorry, guys. This is like bok choy and turnips. Um, so I, I love, I love bok choy and turnips, though. So. so do I. And I, but but you know, I can understand if you're like, okay, three weeks in a row. Like, come on. But yeah. I love coming up with different ways to prepare it so that it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like the same old, same old turnips and bok choy. And that for me has been so much fun. And that has also brought us closer to our CSA members. We've got mm-hmm. 110 families that wow. are part of our farm and we, we hear from them a lot where they're like, they're like, these, you know, thank you for the recipe suggestion because wow. we, you know, we kind of were in a little bit of a rut and that yeah. has felt really good because you also, as, as a farmer, it is kind of, you know, you work really hard to grow these things and you don't want them to go to waste. And so for oh, me, yeah. it's really been important to have the the suggestions of how to use the vegetable and how to use the whole vegetable. A lot of them mm-hmm. have greens that are edible and, oh, um, yeah. And so it's, it's been fun to, to connect and, and give ideas and whether people choose to use the recipes or not, it's, you know, it inspires something in the very least. Yeah. Yeah. That's been really fun. And it forces, it forces me to eat the week's harvest right along with them. Even if something else is available at the farm, I'm like, that's good. Yeah. I'm like, okay, well, this is what CSA is getting this week. We're going to, I kind of want to cook this stuff mm-hmm. as well, just to kind of like, we're doing the challenge right along. Right yeah. Along. yeah, no, I think that that's awesome. One of the questions too, that somebody asked was, how do you meal plan seasonally or like locally and seasonally? Like, do you, do you and I think what they mean, cause I've had this question before is, do you like, buy everything and then eat it like meal plan or do you kind of roughly know what's coming and then you meal plan I'm a really bad at meal planning <laughs> I know I got into it during the pandemic that is like the soonest I've ever gotten into it I'm starting to, now that pepper's starting to eat a little bit I'm starting to be like okay that meal plan is going to save me in the end I've been really bad at that um what what instead of totally meal planning, what I love to always have on hand is meat, grain, and then whatever veg is in season. And for the, the one thing I try and do at the beginning of the week is have some sauces made or mm, that's made. a really good suggestion. 
and I, that has saved me where, you know, if there's a couple of different salad dressings and I make either pesto or chimichurri is my favorite. Mm-hmm. I love pesto, but chimichurri is my favorite with like mm-hmm. any of the greens that are attached to turnips, carrots. If you didn't mm-hmm. use bok choy, chop that up and make a, you know, a really yummy green sort of sauce that can mm-hmm. go pretty much over anything. Even if you're making, you know, scrambled eggs for dinner and then you drizzle yeah. it with a green sauce. So I, not so much meal planning, but I, if I've got, you know, some grains and beans, mm-hmm. uh, basically like a grain and a protein and then the veg. Um, okay. but as long as there's a sauce, I feel like you can kind of have a quick dinner. Yeah. Cause you can always roast those veggies. I'm thinking if they're roastable, obviously, but they're um, all roastable. you can roast lettuce it's all roastable. That's so true. And I just feel like a sauce just does save that in that situation. Cause you can like, you know, put like turnips roasted with beets and carrots, and then you, you toss them on top of some farro or wheat berries or whatever. And then you put the sauce on top. And that's one of the most economical meals. Veggies with a grain is one of the most economical meals. The other thing that I wish I had known like early on, but my, I think a lot of people get herbs in their boxes and they're like, Mm -hmm. herbs kind of go bad quickly. Well, my recipe called for like two sprigs of, you know, rosemary or something. Um, my favorite my favorite way to use herbs is just especially like dill, cilantro, parsley, mm-hmm. um, even basil is just throwing handfuls of that that's chopped in your salad because yes. it makes the best salad. And I'm like, why, was why wasn't I throwing fresh herbs in my salads before? It is, it's such a game changer. And so I started, um, that was one thing that I got a lot of feedback from like CSA members were like, thank you. Because I was looking at this giant, you know, head of dill, like, what am I going to do? And then a few handfuls of that in salads and, um, and even in salad dressings and things like that. But yeah, that's something I wish I had been doing all along, but. I know. I feel like we could just talk about this forever, but. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Now I'm getting into to what I'm I know. There's so many things that I, I started utilizing herbs in salad randomly just because I was like, it was like June and I had just planted the garden and my salad greens had, I had the worst June this year, like with our garden, but in our salad greens, I don't know what happened. Well, I do know what happened. It would get really cold at night and really hot during the day. And I didn't have protection on them. And they just, they bolted, they were angry. They were mad. Even my arugula got mad. And I was like, okay. like So we ended up just having these herb salads more or less because I had all these herbs that were just flourishing Uh and and we had beet greens and turnip greens that were coming out and so it was like we're just gonna have beet greens and turnip greens and herbs for our salad and it was incredible oh it sounds so good right now it sounds so good right now I know especially right now (laughs) I'm looking at the snow coming down I know me too (laughs) I dug a couple beets from from the farm the other day obviously the greens are are not good but what I would get you know that's what I do about the seasonal eating though too is just when it's like, okay, one more pot roast, like might do me, might do me in, but then there's like the promise of like some herbs coming up and uh-huh. it does taste. 
I always joke, I hate the grocery store line when you're there in March and there's like all of the food magazines with like asparagus and strawberries and snap peas. I'm like, we are months away from that. Yeah. Having like borscht for the like 500th time this winter, but it's, it's just so wonderful when, when you do have that like first like green salad or first radish of the season, it just tastes so much better when you're like, yeah. I can do another, another. I think that is the thing that definitely sold me on the whole idea of seasonal and local eating was just that, that flavor, like that you appreciate it so much more and it tastes so much better. Like when you actually have it in season and locally, like the closer it is to you, the fresher it's going to taste and the longer it was able to sit in the ground and actually ripen properly. And the nutrient levels are higher. Like there's so many things to it. Right. So it, I just, it sold me on it. And I don't know, I, there's nothing like it. And we always had this saying in our house and Mike, by no means, he grew up in like a suburb of Texas and he didn't know the world that he now lives in, like, and in terms of food. And so it's been interesting because I had a little more experience with that growing up in Northern Michigan. It's kind of a little bit like, I would assume kind of like Hood River is, is it's, you know, that's kind of how you survive you know, cause that's what's around you. There's a lot of agriculture and things like that, but he didn't grow up around that. So watching it through his eyes is fascinating because he now, when we eat something, he's like, we don't save it until we've gotten so sick of it that we don't want it anymore. So like, and then you get so sick of it so that you don't need it for a long period of time. And then when it comes around, you're just like, can't wait for it again. And, and it's not even worth getting in between because you know, it won't be nearly as good as that time when you're eating it endlessly. No, totally. I mean, you savor it because it's like, it's fleeting. It's mm-hmm. definitely like, okay, this isn't going to be, you know, this, this moments, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I like, I always, I've always hate because we're so late to the tomato game, but like the tomato, when we're like, when our tomatoes are just going off is when I like start seeing like Starbucks advertising pumpkin spice lattes. And I'm like, no, like I'm not, no, no. Until, I, until I have, you know, until I'm, you know, red in the face from tomatoes, mm-hmm. I, I'm not having, you know, any winter squash. I'm not even touching pumpkin. <laughs> No, totally. And I think that I kind of grew up like Mike, though. I grew up um, just outside of Portland, but we we ate a lot of, you know, boxed mac and cheese, which I love. I love a mac and cheese. But I had never I grew up a pretty picky eater. And Mm -hmm. that's because I realized I hadn't had a real tomato or like a real turnip or, you know, My I never mom has to think it's hilarious. Yeah. It's um, it tastes, I think that it is true that when you're, when it's, you know, ripe and, and mm-hmm. fresh, it just, it tastes like it's supposed to taste. And I hadn't had any of that stuff until I started farming. And I remember thinking we're killing our backs growing all of this, like weird stuff, like rutabagas and kohlrabis and beets. Mm -hmm. And they were just things that I had never grown up eating. They looked weird. They looked Mm -hmm. like you'd chop your hand off trying to get into them. Mm -hmm. And then getting to experience them for the first time was yeah. awesome. I was like, we were really missing out. I mean, we weren't missing. It. My childhood was great, but, um, I but now, I, now I have an appreciation for, you for do. what it 
what it's like. Yeah, to have maybe food. our children will be like, God, what I give for a box of mac and cheese. Oh, oh I, I know, I know. I just like, going to hate vegetables. She's going to hate vegetables. So, um, and her name's yeah. Pepper. <laughs> I know, totally, totally. So mm-hmm. I'm doing all I can, but you know, you do the best you can, and then who knows? She's gonna, she's gonna be on like a pizza and whatever diet when she can, but who knows? No, Man, I want to try that pizza that is in, wait, which one is it? The, is it the local? I think all the pizza ones are in the first one. That's what I was trying to remember. Cause I, I always have both of them like readily available on my shelf. So I get them mixed up like in terms of recipes, like I'll be like flipping through one and I'll be like, wait, wait, wait. I thought it was, in this one. it's not. So, but I, I highly suggest both of them. So I will link both of them in the show notes for everybody because they are truly, they sit up with there with like every other one of my favorite seasonal cookbooks. Like your recipes are so great. They're so simple. And also very, what I love about them is they're very adaptable Like, and they're also very much like things that feel familiar, but with like a twist. And I love that. And it's so important. Yeah. You do a great job with, with those books. And I give you so much credit because I know how much work you have to put into doing that, especially while you're farming. I cannot even imagine. I don't think there's going to be any cookbooks for a while. I think think (laughs) I'm I'm glad that these are out there. I'm like, I think I'm going to slow, slow it down and just concentrate on farming now for a while. Yeah. You can be a mom and farm. And yeah, I think that's, totally great. You got some great literature out there for the world <laughs> to experience. And your blog is full of amazing recipes too. So yes, you yes I, I go there very often. So <laughs> yes. Well, so. All right. We'll give those kiddos big squeezes and stay cozy. And- I know. And, and pet Stony, He's so cute. <laughs> I know. He's the best. <laughs> he's um, adorable. All right, Megan. We'll yes. take care. Yeah, you too, Andrea. Thank you so much. Oh, that conversation was so wonderful today. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. I cannot wait for you guys to check out everything. I have all the stuff you need to know from Andrea in the show notes below. I also have a blog post that you can check out that just gives you high level, like how to eat local in an affordable and simple way. So you can head to the blog post and check that out. You can also learn about CSAs there. And then I also have some links to some of my favorite recipes from Andrea, as well as links to her books, which like I said, I very much suggest as well as seeing her documentary. If you want to dive in deeper, which I think you guys would enjoy doing. Next week, as I said, we are going to be just days away from opening the doors to our community. So Mike and I will be on. If you're on Instagram with us, make sure you drop and look for our box. It will be asking for questions. And if, or if you have a question, feel free to email us. If you want to know more about the community, we will answer your question in that episode. I cannot wait for this. Seriously, it's gonna be so much fun if you cannot tell how excited I am. Okay, friends, I'll see you out there. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com <laughs> 